Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to talk to you guys about a project that Amanda and I have been talking about for a while, and we'd like to start getting some steps forward. And first off, I need to talk to you guys. We're looking at creating a group where foster parents and adoptive parents can come together and talk about some of the struggles that they have and talk about some of the best practices that they found, some of the things that, that they wish they'd found earlier along the journey. And we want to have a group that creates a lot of value and helps a lot of people do this job better helps us to understand what we're doing and create these homes that these kids can thrive in instead of the homes where our marriages are stretched and difficult and we're at each other's throats because everybody's losing their mind because let's face it, this stuff is hard. So if you're a parent who is a foster parent or an adoptive parent, um, please reach out. Let me know if you'd be interested. It's jason at fostercarenation.com. Just let me know if you'd be interested in doing something like this. I want to create a group where we can do some regular Zoom meetings and we can invite some professionals in, some psychologists, some therapists, that sort of thing, and maybe just see if we can't learn from one another and from the professionals how to do this in the best possible way. Again, if you're interested at all, just reach out to me, Jason at fostercarenation.com and say, I'm interested in the group. Thanks a lot. Now we're on to Anna Marie DiDio. You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I think no. Foster Care Nation! Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey! Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wind hearts. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason. And no, Amanda, she's out doing all the the mom things again today. We've got a kid with an appointment and she has to take him to it. So today you have me and Anna Maria DiDio. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Excellent. Excellent. Anna is an author and uh, a mom who has a story. And since we're all about foster care and adoption here and telling people's story, why don't you tell us a little bit about how, how you jumped into this and, and, uh, and what your books are about. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, uh, 20 years ago, uh, we had um, an eight-year-old child and we were wanting a sibling for that child. So we looked into adoption and we looked into uh, domestic and international adoption and decided that an international adoption solution was the best for us. And this was after Oh geez, years of infertility and procedures, and so this was this was a, a long process that um, kind of evolved over those many years. And then when we realized our daughter was eight, we wanted to adopt an older child. So uh, through a set of circumstances, we found ourselves uh, at an orphanage in Mexico, meeting an adorable six-year-old girl and um, started the, the adoption process and went from there. I, I decided to write about the process. I, I, I wrote a memoir that was published in 2019. And now a few years later, I'm writing a, a children's 
series of books that I'm calling Life Adventure Series, Life Meeting Love inspires families everywhere. And I'm focusing on adoption, foster care, and, and blended families. Well, it's funny that you mentioned blended families because I, I'm a, as a member of the, the dad's group that I'm in that I talk about all the time, one of the, uh, one of the call teams we have there is a blended family. And, and most people see that as um, his, hers, and ours kids, right? And I forget. I went into that call team just kind of wondering what, what they talk about exactly and realize how much so many of our families are just so blended. You know, if you look at my family, oh my gosh, like, like we've got all the colors in our family, you know, we have kids that kind of look like me. We have some a little darker than me, a little lighter than me, a lot darker than me. Some of those look like my wife and all the different cultural things that come out of that, the different societal things that come out of that. And, you know, not to mention the, biological versus step versus kinship versus, you yeah. know, God knows what placements that, that, that we've had over the years. And man, that's, that's a big part of, of this whole journey is understanding, you know, the differences and how we can blend all that together to make something amazing. Yeah. That, that definition has really evolved over the last couple of years. And I've really just love that word because the same things happened in my family with my brother's children. And, and it's just been uh, kind of, kind of a joy to put all this together. Yeah. Cause families aren't the traditional, uh, that traditional mom, dad, and, and their biological children anymore. We have, we have so many different things out here in this world where thankfully more people are, are leaning in and taking care of kids that they didn't birth perhaps that they may not have any bio biology towards, but kids who need help, none, none the different, you know, we, we, we've both kind of stepped into that arena. So, you know, what, what I'm curious, you know, because I have a bunch of books written in my head. I don't have any <laughs> put down on paper yet. I don't know if you know this or not, but Amazon will not sell the book that you have in your head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you've done the work to create create some, some books. You've done some author work. So I'm curious, what was that process like for you? You know, how's it affected your, your family? And, and how's that how's that really that journey been for you? Well, to begin with, just reflecting on how woefully unprepared I think I was for the adoption, um, I started to journal just what, what was happening to us. It was a very unique situation, I thought at the time. We found ourselves at this orphanage, as, as I mentioned, and it was, you, know, you, you have certain things that come to mind when you're thinking about an orphanage. But this was truly a, a wonderful place. The, the children were loved and cared for. The women that cared for the children were called Tia's. And the, the, um, our, our daughter, our soon-to-be daughter, was cared for by just a wonderful woman. And they loved each other very much. So uh, the orphanage was in Cuernavaca, Mexico, which is a beautiful place. And so, you know, I tried many times to think, uh, she went to bed in Cuernavaca, Mexico, and the next day, you know, woke up in suburban Philadelphia. And it was just, you know, such a, a shock to the system. She, she's a, a very, to this day, still gregarious and just a um, high energy, talks a mile a minute. And just to lose all that, you know, as time went on, I just began to focus on all that she had lost and it, it just affected me in, in, in such a deep way that, that uh, you know, I started to write about it and wanted to put the memoir together 
just to track our, our journey and how, uh, and, and her journey as well, and how she was able to uh, ultimately, you know, reconnect with her culture in Mexico. And, and uh, she's on her way now to being a wonderful professional woman. She's uh, 26 right now. So it's, um, it was quite a journey. Yeah. So you're on the backside of that, of that, um, that journey, you know, a lot of the people who are listening here are, are kind of on the front side of that. They're, they're looking at it and, and you see all these stories. Like I've mentioned before, we, we looked at international adoption before we, before we fell into the foster system and, there were so many things, so many people talking about why it's, you know, the wrong thing to do. And, you know, there's so many kids in America who need a home. Why would you go to another country to do that? And I, I absolutely just want to find those people and, and like, you know, give them a good smack or something because <laughs> I might be wrong, but as far as I see it, a kid is a kid. It is a, a kid, human, exactly. A human is a human. You know, it's it's a human soul that 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 we're we're protecting and, and caring for. So that's the way I see it. But man, as you as you get into that journey, that's there's a lot to navigate. Did you have any help navigating those waters? Well, we worked with an agency that uh, specialized in Mexican uh, Mexican location, um, the different states of Mexico, and um, the rules changed even a lot as we were doing it. I know the rules are totally different now, even. But no, we did we did have help, and um, but but you know as I said, reflecting on it, I, I still wasn't as prepared as I, I think I, I should have been, and it was um, you know people and and people succumb to that myth of adoption also that oh she's so lucky she's so lucky to have you and you're you're such a wonderful family for doing all this. And, and it just, it, it was just all wrong in my head. I, I wasn't, you know, after a, a prize or, or anything. And I didn't, we were, we wanted to uh, give a child a, a family. And as I said, a sibling for our, our daughter. And, um, and the more I focused on it, the more I, I just wanted her to, to feel part of, part of us, part of our, our family. And that, that, that took many, many years. That's really was a surprise to me how long that took. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about those struggles because, you know, I, I know what you're saying. She's so lucky to have you. And they totally, you know, people don't think about she's not lucky to need me. Right. There's a story there. There's a trauma there. What did that journey look like right. walking through that? Right. Journey, guys? Yes. So, so, and again, this, this took years of my, my own, you know, discovery and reading is that all adoption is, is begins with trauma and loss. And, and again, I wasn't really focused on that. And in the beginning I could see, you know, we had a lot of testing behaviors and, and, and um, tantrums and, and sadness. And, and after a while, I just uh, wanted to sort of alleviate that pain. I mean, I could just see she was in pain. At first, you know, the natural thing is it was all about me. I said, why, you know, why is she, we are a good family. Why is she doing this to, to me, to us? But, you know, as I began to really zero in on her pain and what she was feeling, we started to uh, search out others that she could talk to because, it wasn't, it's not something that maybe she didn't feel comfortable talking to us. And it was just, a, 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 again, a really long process, but we, we trusted others that were professionals and 
and we went through several stages, you know, one that was more focused on, on my daughter as a child, then as a middle schooler, then as a teenager. And we, we kind of went with that because things change, you know, the, the kids um, thought process and thoughts about family, thoughts about where, where they come from and who they look like, what they sound like that evolves over time. And I, I kind of wanted to be responsive to that. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, anybody out there who isn't in the position that, that we're in, who have had kids across the spectrum and ages, oh my gosh, I'm going to tell you that 14, 15 year old boy that you have in your house is nothing like the cute little three-year-old boy that you had some years before that. Right. <laughs> you know, so as the children's books evolve, so later, you know, I thought, well, what's the, the best way for families to kind of discover these things together is really to, you know, I, I don't know, allow that pain, accept that frustration. And I thought if I could write books with some of these behaviors at the center that um, parents and children could read these together and, and discuss that. So, so the first uh, book is... Uh, about uh, a young girl from, actually, I, I have the book set in Colombia. She's adopted from Colombia. I, I couldn't write any more about my daughter because I thought she would strangle me if I wrote any more about her. It was, it was, you said, what was the process like? But the, the girls thought it was supremely embarrassing to have a, a book uh, written. I said, well, you know, this was our family experience and it was, it was just wonderful to write and wonderful to share it with others. But the children's books I see as really opportunities for families to come together to talk about these topics, just you know, a nugget or two of, uh, of wisdom or behavior that, that they can share and, and discuss. So the first book is about acclimating to a whole new family, similar to inspired by true events, as I like to say. So this is not just your, um, your nonfiction book that boring people like me are, are gra- going to gravitate towards that, that boring nonfiction stuff, because that's, that's just who I am. I, me too. I'm, yeah, I'm that guy. And my wife goes, how can you, I mean, let's be real honest right now. I'm reading, um, <sighs> some works by, uh, I think it's Karen Purvis, um, the connected parent, I believe connected, it is yeah, child or something. Yeah. 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 I think the connected parent is the one I, I, I'm really trying to dive deep into right now and understand a lot of the stuff that she's taught. Some of the things that we've learned and diving into that. My wife, on the other hand, is reading a book. It has something to do with vampires. <laughs> well, that, I mean, the book, the, uh, the primal wound book by Nancy Verrier really sort of changed my world. Uh, as I said, focusing on, you know, my own pain for so long, uh, just, just made me realize and understand the trauma and loss and separation and how this begins at a very, um, it begins at, at separation. So, so my daughter actually had kind of a double whammy because she was lovingly cared for in, in the orphanage till age six. So she was, brought there as as a baby and then developed this relationship and then had to be separated again. So it it was a traumatic event for her. And I really had to um, work to understand that. You mean that just because you are a great and wonderful person didn't fix everything for her? Right, right. Like, that was just mind boggling to me. And yes, that was so hard to admit. But uh, and and I'm, I'm sort of 
I, I wish I wish I had had the realizations a little bit sooner, but um, so that's that's really how it evolved into the children's books, just to take those you know nuggets of wisdom. The, the second book is is called How I Wonder Where You Are, and it's about you know the same the same you know, young girl from Colombia just thinking about not not unhappy with her kind of adopted family, but thinking about where she's come from, uh, of course, her genetic makeup, how different she is from her family, um, <clears throat> what kinds of things were possibly important to her, her birth mom. And uh, again, just allowing those topics to be uh, read and discussed together, I'm hoping kind of we'll, we'll, we'll uh, just move families forward is, is really the goal. Oh, how I wish I would have known that at the beginning of all this, because we, we were kind of the same in the same boat. You know, we're we're going to give this place for kids to do well, to to have this good life and all this. And yeah, it turns out there, there's a whole lot more to it than that. And I was one of those dumb people who thought like you, we can just love them enough and that that'll make everything OK and good. And and now, even though we have been through so much, we've had so many experiences and learned so much. You know, I sit with um, anybody who's listened to the podcast. You know, if you listen to enough episodes, somewhere in there, there's a couple of episodes that where I, I talked with our little our little guy Turtle, and he is eight years old now. And that's one of the things we talk about from time to time is is what he thinks about when it, in regards to his biological family because you know his his dad is deceased, and that's that's a big question mark for him. And I don't have a whole lot of answers for him about who he was or, or all that. And so I can't give him the, the answers that he, he is looking for, but knowing that he's looking for those is such an important part and making that okay for him. Like you can, you can exactly. wonder, dude. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it, it's normal. Yeah. I would, I would should actually be a little bit more concerned if he didn't wonder. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, the, the, the wondering and the, uh, the, the acceptance of that I, I see as, uh, kind of a bridge that's sort of to be traveled by adoptive parents. They need to just accept this. And, and I know there's, I'm in a lot of Facebook groups. I see a lot of postings about the, the bio moms and, and uh, it's, there's, you know, there's a lot of fear there and uh, reluctance and, but, but just, again, the book is really about wondering and wondering, um, what maybe what could have been or and I, I think that's that's a subject that is very natural. Oh, yeah. I'm curious, who's who's a book written um, written to audience wise? Is this written for for the teen audience to, to read and, and kind of validate their experience? Or is it written to the the more adult audience to understand what their experience is? Or is this written from from a young, you know, to a young kid so that you, you know, you're talking to the younger generations? Uh, initially conceived for younger children to get the kind of discussion points out there at an early, as early as an age as possible. So that these, uh, I think this, the book, I've officially rated the book as E for everyone. So these are topics that I think um, that I, I discussed with my daughter for, for many years, off and on. This is not something, you know, I, I never wanted to pressure her to, um, you know, what, what do you, what do you think? Are you going to look for your birth mom? And it, these are things that I, I just let kind of evolve naturally. And, um, but we had the discussion through many years. So I, I think these, these topics, um, 
it's it's a, it's a good way to bring them forward. Yeah, it's an amazing way to bring this into to the conversation over time because it's this is not a one-time conversation. This, and, and so what what I've been wondering is maybe I'll I'll, I'll throw this out there. So my experience has been with this international adoption and uh, through the years we've connected with you know many therapists and been in adoption groups and but I've, I've not had as much uh, experience with foster children I, I do see some you know similarities with with you know the mindset and what where, where do I come from and who's my my again my genetics my biology and where who's taking care of me what what, what's, what is a family, but to, to turn that into a children's story, that's really what, 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 when I said I was, uh, I was hooked on your, on your podcast, I'm, I'm really just fascinated by the journeys of some of the, the, uh, the foster families and looking for those, you know, nuggets of wisdom. And if your listeners are, are wanting to share, uh, I'd love to hear about, you know, what, what lesson or what nugget of wisdom could be boiled down to a children's story about foster care? Yeah, I, I think the, the one thing that comes to mind immediately is just the, the question mark that, that looms there because these kids not only have that same primal wound being pulled from their first family, but they don't have e- even the, an adult who can tell them that this is your permanency right here. You have found your permanency now. They are still living in limbo. You know, we've had kids who have stayed with us. I think the longest foster placement we have had has been about a year and a half. And the shortest was less than 24 hours. Oh, wow. You know, uh, and now on the short one, I mean, let's, um, let's just be honest. That one, we were an emergency placement. There was something that happened. There was law enforcement involved and they removed the kids from the situation. I, I don't even know any of the story. I, I could barely even tell you one of the two kids name because we never actually learned the little boy's name. The little girl, we got her name from her and her little brother was, he was too young. So he was still fairly nonverbal. And so, um, you know, we, we didn't get his name. And then the very next day they, they found a family placement and then he, they went to stay with, with a family member. So, you know, that was the way it should have been, right? We were just, right. we were just a, a warm bed and a, and a, uh, a roof and and a safe place where they could spend the night with some weird strangers for just a minute and then they moved on but the the thing is is some of these kids come and they stay for a week a month you know six months you just never know as a matter of fact is most of the listeners will know that you won't hear her today because she's with amanda but we have had baby girls staying with us now for the last i think eight months and sometimes you'll get to hear her making cute baby noises in the background um but her story's not written yet we don't have an answer for what her long-term story will be. And for her, because she's eight months old, she doesn't really care. But when you bring in a kid who's, who's six years old, who's going to a different school now, who has to deal with all new you know, kids, they lost their friends, they lost the teachers they knew and trusted, and so now they're in this completely brand new situation. Wasn't it, I think it was a Mel Gibson movie, um, I could be wrong. I'm horrible with movies and actors, so I can't remember even the name of the movie. But it was the idea was, what do you get the man who's, who's uh, who has everything for his birthday? And they they had this whole experience where he was he was more or less kidnapped and thrown into Mexico, and he had to figure out how to get back home. And it was this whole experience that you look at that idea and you think that's that's what this is. They were in their mind picked up out of a out of their home and thrown into a world they know nothing about, and now they live in a world of nothing but uncertainty. 
And, you know, psychologically speaking, that's what sparks the amygdala, that fight or flight. And then they, they begin to live in that because I don't know anything about the people here, the place, the places I'm going, the school, the food I'm eating. You know, if, if you come out of a home that, that feeds all prepackaged, easy, you know, hostess type foods that's always readily available because you know because it doesn't require much effort to cook and that's just what that family does and now all of a sudden you get thrown into a home where people are trying to feed you vegan meals you're probably going to have some real resistance there and i don't blame you because because i know what i like to eat and i don't want that to happen to me but all those uncertainties get thrown into one place and my gosh and we expect the kids to be grateful that we have that we have a place that these kids, you know, people say that all the time. Oh, aren't these kids so lucky that you do this? No, man, we do the best we can, but at best, at best, we get a B minus C plus rating, you know? And if, if, if these kids, some of these kids were to, to leave a Yelp review on us, I mean, my gosh, <laughs> their perception has to be so different and it's constantly changing. I think that's, that's a real hard part for kids who are in the foster system is just that lack of consistency. Yes, yes, that's, and, and, but some of the same challenges um, around, I'll just name something that I've read that's, that's the same challenges around uh, a child's birthday, for instance, you know, that brings up uh, a lot of, a lot of issues for adopted children and perhaps foster children as well. Uh, just thinking about you know, expectations, what are expectations uh, about a birthday? Who's, who's thinking of me on my birthday? And so that's just one of probably a gazillion challenges that they face. Oh yeah. In my house growing up on, at least for a lot of years until one of us broke it, um, there, there was a plate that hung on the wall. It said, you are special today. And on your birthday, you got to eat off the, you are special today plate. And that was just one of those little, one of those little things that was just a, a tradition in our home. And you lose all those traditions. Yeah, even, so so important. Even if it just means that's the day that you know that your parents spend a little bit of time and energy with you that that you maybe don't get during the rest of the year. It's just it's those pieces and parts that that you lose. That it's it's all part of the traumas that that we experience as we uh, as we walk through these through these experiences together. You know, we're trying to help these kids. You know, find that normalcy. And man, it's hard. It really is. Yeah, you know, my, my daughter had been, um, uh, of, of course, acclimating to a, a family was very different. And but I thought, oh, isn't, you know, isn't this wonderful when we, we couldn't we, we didn't speak Spanish. At some point, she she said to us, you know, why did you adopt me if you didn't even speak Spanish? And um, someone asked her what she thought of her you know, new family setting and surroundings and remember, she was living, uh, the, the orphanage had a pool and about 30 to 40 kids and they were young. So boys and girls were kind of together. And can you imagine having like 30 to 40 kids to play with at any one time? And when someone, uh, in our, we had a neighborhood get together and someone asked her, you know, how she was doing. And she said she was bored in our house <laughs> <laughs> because there was only one other kid to play with. And uh, I, I just, I remember being so surprised, like, bored, what? And, uh, you, you know, you just, in her mind, of course, you know, all her friends were taken away. And, and I thought, oh, geez, of course, this is just torture. And then my, my biological daughter, um, 
she was just in tears because she thought our, our, uh, our, our newly adopted daughter was getting all the attention. She had been an only child for those eight years and uh, had a little trouble, uh, trouble recovering from that. So each family goes through these, you know, growing pains and formations and, and uh, it, it really is a balancing act. Oh yeah. Yeah. Was, you know, she came from Mexico and, uh, that last with a name like the I'm going to assume there's some Italian heritage. So going from eating, um, a lot of, of primarily Mexican food, if she's living right. in Mexico to dealing with an, uh, an Italian American diet is probably just one of those big switches. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if you're an expert in, in Mexican cuisine, you may be for all I know, but no. Yeah. So that there's those changes. And then, you know, the, the cultural changes from, from just being in an orphanage to your home and then having a daughter who a bio daughter in the house who she probably at some point, I'm going to guess felt like she was the less than between the two while your daughter feels like you know, your biological daughter feels like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not enough. And they had to bring this other kid in. These are some of the conversations we've had with some of our older kids now that they're, that they're young adults and, and can really understand where they right. were in those moments. So have you guys dealt with that with, with, um, with your girls? Yes. So, uh, you know, within six months or so, she uh, lost her Spanish and it, it, the transition was, was very quick and learned English. As a matter of fact, we had to travel back to Mexico twice to complete the adoption. And by then she really wasn't speaking. That was part of the challenge. She really wasn't speaking Spanish anymore. And uh, because she had come to, to live with us and it wasn't really, um, before she was really designated. Uh, so we kind of skirted adoption rules a, a little bit. But as the years you know, passed, uh, you know, she wanted to, to learn Spanish. That's one of the things that I, I focus on in the memoir. And we try to support that through, you know, tutors and, and uh, of course, her own efforts. But it wasn't until really that she was in high school when she started to go to uh, Spanish regular classroom instruction. And uh, I could see, and then through Facebook, I could see that she had connected again to those from Mexico uh, that she knew as a child. And by the time she was in college had completely recovered uh, her Spanish. And, you know, something happened at that point. It was just a, um, a noticeable increase in her, in her confidence and her awareness. She traveled back to Mexico in a study abroad program and, and reconnected with the women there. And I just, uh, you know, rejoiced and embraced all of that as a, as a way that she was, you know, kind of like discovering herself all over again. It really, we wanted to support that as much as possible. Yeah. And I'm just going to have to say that that's awesome that you guys look at that, look at it that way, because I mean, it's really easy to put the past behind you and just let's move on now with this with this amazing life that we're going to create for you and and forget that there's a place where everybody comes from and it's not always from our home our culture our life our language uh, and it's you know for these kids who who have had so much taken from them to support her reconnecting with that cuz now now does she have any connection with with her biological parents 
No, no, just the, the, the women from the orphanage have maintained contact all these years. And we've, we've been back as a family to visit them as well. Oh, that's amazing. Important. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but on a note about the Italian thing, um, that's one of the things mentioned in the book. For whatever reason, uh, you, you know, well, Mexican, uh, Italian, you know, cheese, some pasta. or I mean, you know, it was all there. But every time I made anything ravioli, she would just spit it out. It was just, <laughs> she couldn't, she, I don't know whether it was the texture or what, but, and then, but we couldn't have tacos every night. So, you know, she would love, and of course now she, she likes things very hot and spicy. And of course I, I don't, but, um, but every time I made anything that had either like a tortellini or ravioli, she would just spit it right out. And it was it was somewhat hilarious, but I would just think, oh, you know, but one of those transition items. Yeah, because, you know, my kids actually like a lot of spicy food. And I'm like, nope, no, thank you. As a matter of fact, at one point, my boys, we, we were on a we'd gone on a little trip here inside the state for something. We stopped somewhere and they got a couple jars of this hot sauce stuff and um like, all right, whatever, yeah, I'll buy it for you, you know, if you'll eat it. And, you know, they want it because it's, it's this cool thing. And, and I remember we actually stopped at a Taco Bell on the way out because we get some quick food. And my, my son, the younger of the two that was with me, he takes, you know, takes a little bit of this stuff and he makes this whole big scene about how spicy it is. And me and the older son, we, we were laughing at him quite hard, actually. It was hilarious to watch him. And then he's like, you don't understand. I'm like, here, I hand one of our, you know, very not spicy Taco Bell tacos back then. Let's put some on there. And he stuck a glob on there. And I'm not going to lie, I ended up on the shoulder of the road trying to decide if I could figure out how to dial 911 because I couldn't breathe any longer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, come to find out, it's actually one of the hotter ones out there. Um, I think it's called The Bomb. And there, there's a YouTube show out there called um, Hot Ones where um where the 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 guy he he goes through this progression of i don't know 10 or or 12 different hot sauces with people and has and does a whole interview and it's amazingly interesting to watch there's one episode with gordon ramsay which is hilarious and i feel so much better after watching these these people like die trying to do the same thing i'm like no wonder this kid was actually trying to kill me i think but you know that that's a big part of it like our, our tastes are different you know, it's just totally different. I have one little boy who, anytime we have green beans, oh my gosh, it's World War Three started all over again. And I'm sorry, but we have green beans in the house and you're going to have to eat them once in a while. But that taste and texture thing is, is so difficult, especially with a kid who comes from a place where there's some foods yeah. that they're not used to eating. Well, just the whole, uh, you know, transition from Mexico, you know, just, it, it's actually never really stopped, but the Mexico is always in the news. And in, in the beginning, when the journey was, uh, well, in the beginning, she cried almost nonstop for a, a couple months and, and just throwing huge tantrums, just begging, begging to go back. And so uh, I, I used to just, uh, of course, watch the news and read about Mexico. And I, I used to cut out items from the paper. And I now I refer to them as, um, you know, resentment uh, coupons. Uh, I would cut out a notice about, um, oh, the, the, uh, there's poverty in Mexico, the, um, the violence, the, um, uh, just the, the lack of overall opportunity. And, 
And so I, I clipped all these things over, over a couple of years and as, as we sort of evolved as a family and, and wanting to, to save these articles as, as evidence, you know, see, see how, how good you have it with us. You know, why are you, why are you acting like this? How come you don't love us? And, and it was, and I used to clip these things, put them in a little folder and thought, oh, I'm going to show these to her someday and just she'll see how lucky she is. And this was all in the beginning. And, and gradually when all of this sort of evolved and reading Primal Wound and talking with the therapists and, uh, you know, years later, I, I found this folder of all these, you know, resentment coupons. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how you know, how, how could I have done that? I, I threw them out and, uh, and never, they never saw the light of day. And uh, just, it was just such a huge lesson to just meet, you know, her where she was at that point. And, and I'm so glad I, I, I didn't show her those things because um, the, the process happened so slowly. I was, I was just too impatient. And I don't know if you, if you found that, but it, it was, it was also new for me, but um, I, I think with the help of others, you, you eventually get there. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty ready for my perfection to be seen by all the kids. <laughs> 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 and it, once you think that you, you have some of that perfection to hand to these kids, I promise you, they will let you know that that you don't have perfection. <laughs> Anybody who has kids, especially teenagers, you'll figure out pretty quick how far from perfection you are. They'll let you know if you missed it. Yes. Yes. But, you know, we, we, you know, your parenting styles, of course, have to adapt and change. And as the kids get older, you know, you're, um, well, and the girls used to take, uh, well, when they both had phones, you know, used to take pictures of the clothes that they would take from each other's room, you know, and then post themselves on Facebook or something. And, <laughs> and, you know, there are all kinds of, uh, you know, their, their relationship is sort of ebbed and flowed. Uh, over over the years, they're they're extremely different. They're very very different personalities. So it's funny because it, in the beginning we were looking for a sibling for our our, our daughter, and um, it it just evolved as um, you know they're they're not really close, but I'm I'm hoping that will evolve over time as well. I don't I don't know how your sibling group kind of ebbs and flows because you have many more um, in your household, but. Uh, eventually I'm hoping they'll get a little bit closer. Well, I'm not certain if we actually got siblings or if we just brought the rivalry part in some days. Because <laughs> even our two younger boys who, it's it's kind of, it makes me laugh because of all the way that culture acts and reacts about certain things. And uh, we have got our youngest little guy. Um, he is, this poor boy, boy is so pale, white, it's hilarious. And his his brother who is what frank uh i think they're a year and a half apart and you know his his next older brother is he's mixed and he's very very dark complected and and you know he has his hair braided down he has totally different hair and they, they look so different and then to see them in those brotherly moments they they know no difference between two that's so close of a bond and then there's a moments <laughs> and then there's all the i hate you moments right, right. there's a lot of those moments that come in and it as as parents of also biological siblings that's pretty normal there too so i don't know that that you can create siblings without some level of rivalry and it's probably a healthy thing that it's there oh good yeah well so 
So yeah, I, I take comfort in that as well with with the the biological sibling groups that I see because it's it's really a matter of individual personalities, and you don't know who's going to mix. You just don't know. Yeah, we we have a lot of those interesting mixtures, and sometimes it creates a a wonderful mixture, and sometimes it's an amazing chemical reaction that looks like you're trying to create a volcano. So yeah, it's. It's it's wildly interesting, and you know, fortunately for us, all the girls that we have uh, and have had in our family are at least a decade apart, so we have no clothing fights at all. Oh wow, that was very smart. Was I'm not going to say it was smart; it was just fortunate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because brothers fight a lot less about that sort of stuff. Now they fight a lot more for fun, I think. And well, and I I told this story not too long ago, but they were outside playing and and when they came you know one of them comes running in and screaming and hollering and we go outside to see what it is that was broken and he's and i get one kid calmed down and he says we were just playing a game so what kind of game buddy says well whoever gets hit with a rock 20 times first dies oh my gosh (laughs) right like that was the game um turns out the window did not play the the car window did not play by the rules and only took one i think to um (laughs) for it to die and and we had to manage that but that's that's how they boys play so i'm not certain if it's better to deal with girls fighting over clothes or boys throwing rocks at each other for fun well did you find that you used uh children's books for uh, I don't know, lessons or discussions, or were they jumping off points for, for some of the things you'd like to talk to your kids about? Honestly, when we first started this whole thing, no. I mean, we we were we were your classic, like we're going to love them and it's going to be all good and fine and dandy because because we've always had kids in our house, whether they were, you know, ours, steps, half, family, and then we start into the foster system. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. we just knew what we were doing. Turns out, turns out we didn't know what we were doing. And as we have walked this process, we do have, you know, we, we have a, I'd love to say we have a huge library of books for our kids, but a library suggests they're all put together nicely on shelves. We have piles of books around the house. And in those piles, you'll find quite a few books now that, because they've become much more available, books about kids in foster care, books about adoption. And it has led to a lot of stories. And, you know, there's a lot of those big stories out there that we don't think about so much, but like the whole Harry Potter series. Right. Is, is a is a young boy who lost his his first family, you know, who more or less is in that that uh that place, and and we use a lot of those stories as well, you know, the Superman paradigm, he he right. he was pulled right. up, you know from away from his family, and his first family is gone, and now he's being raised by these people in the middle of right. was it Kansas? Right. Well, there's there's a a chapter in my um well in my memoir. Well, at one point I go on a rant, but the um. Of, of course, the, the, the play when both of our girls were in elementary school and the, pl- the, the school play that they put on was Annie. And so my biological uh, daughter uh, gets the part of Annie. And of course, <laughs> and then my younger daughter, st- literally the, a year out of, not even a year out of the orphanage, she's on stage like swinging a broom was singing hard knock life. And it was just, it was just too much sitting there looking at this and you know, you name it, Harry Potter, Cinderella and uh, the, the, um, Oh, what was the, the other series of books, the, the American girl dolls, half those, those characters had a, a parent that was 
that was missing. And it was, it's just, it's a very compelling story uh, that I, I think any number of um, uh, Disney characters are, are jumping off points and lessons for kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I love finding people who can and are willing to write those, those um, fiction books aimed at kids to normalize these things. Yes. And, and, and in some of those books, of course, you know, love does fix everything. Uh, I think I was, there's, there's not a, I'd like to see a little bit more of realism, but um, it's, it, 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 it's a valuable lesson to have out there. So I'm, I'm glad there's, there's plenty of, plenty of examples. Yeah. Most of those books don't, don't mention the fact that, that a lot of times the traumas lead towards things with diagnoses like ADD, ADHD, ODD, RAD, all, all the, all the good uh, acronyms that, that I think the vast majority of us, if we don't face it in our own home, we have a, a close friend who does face some of those things. Right. And that needs to, that needs to be something that's, that's also brought more to the forefront that neurotypical kids are not typical. You know, the, 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 I forget the numbers, but it's it's a ridiculously high percentage of, of families who deal with some version of one of those diagnoses or another. And most of the kids who, who are adopted or have been through the foster system have a lot of those those issues that they deal with because because the traumas that that are caused by people outside of that kid's control. It's things that are foisted upon them. And and we don't we don't necessarily always do a great job of of showing showing that side of it. Right. Yes, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, your story is amazing. I love I love that you're you're bringing this this out in in book form and and talking to people and telling your story and helping to encourage other families. What would you say to someone who's who is at the beginning of their journey looking for for some advice on how to step into this and do it the right way, whether it's international adoption or, or domestic, whatever, but to do it in the right way. Well, I, I mean. You mentioned stories. I, I would say that's really something that I, I can't emphasize enough. Read stories about actual families, experiences, solutions, strategies. Um, be acquainted with other families that are going through some of those same things. And then how, get in touch with, um, with professionals when you're faced with a situation that you're not able to, to, to cope with. So it's really a sequencing, but initially though, information is key and information just helps to, to um, uh, normalize and helps families strategize how they're going to deal with certain situations, but reading stories about kids uh, and, and their, and their uh, circumstances really helped me. I, I can only imagine it did. And I wish I'd done more of that in the beginning. Um, we, we were, more of the classic, we're just going to, we're going to make this all work thing. And, and it, that'll work if you're willing to, to learn as you go down the road. So I'm glad to see that you have learned a lot of those lessons and, and you're passing those lessons on to others. Uh, and we were well, a little bit late to the party, but I think that that's, and, and that's really the goal of writing the children's books is to just um, put these topics in front of as many parents as possible. Well, if, if anybody wants to find um, Anna Marie's books, if you go to our website, there's a, uh, at fostercarenation.com, there's a tab 
on the top on on a computer i think it's under the little menu button on mobile that that will have uh, some some book resources there and her book will be listed there you can go to amazon and find it what what's the what's the name of the book to to search for to find it on amazon many people to love many people to love and, and the memoir the memoir is called love at the border an adoption adventure there you go um and if you want to find um find anna maria it's amdido.com as in Anna Maria Didio. So amdido.com. You can find her website and you can find her there. Um, you're on Facebook and Instagram a bit. Um, I know we talked a little bit before. You're kind of like me. The social media may not be the place where you are at all the time. And, you know, especially Instagram because, you know, um, you're, you're old people like me. Um, <laughs> Nothing against you, except that apparently if you're older than, if you don't have the word teen in your age, you're not on Facebook and only old people on Facebook. At least that's what my teens tell me. Um, but I think that's the better place to be. <laughs> it, but maybe that's just because I'm old. But you can find her there and um, and and research the, the books that she has. This is a series you have coming out. Is there, is there more books coming? Yes, the, the one about the... Um biological connections, how I wonder where you are. And then there'll be another one probably about um, just reading, writing in school. And then I'm, I'm going to try and transition to foster care. And that's why I'm seeking any of your listeners. There's my email address is on my website. Write to me if you'd like me to learn or talk about, as I said, nuggets of wisdom. Uh, I'm listening to podcasts, reading and, and formulating ideas for that next book. Yes, yes, because there are a lot of us out here who can tell you all kinds of things about the foster system. That's um, that's what we do, right? That's why we, we hold this space because yeah. there's a lot of stuff to be learned, and we're trying so hard to get, get the information from people in story form a lot of times out there so that, that people can connect with stories. The, uh, the story format is the most powerful format I've found so far. Yes, I agree. It's uh, it's how we we have as humans have have been have been communicating for, for probably millennia. If you go back far enough, you'll find all the uh, all the old cave paintings that are you know, it's the original picture book, right? Yes. So yeah, it, it'll well, be stories, stories come alive. Stories make it come alive, and and we we identify with with families and stories. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that's a powerful part. So, you know, if you guys are interested in what, what Anna Maria has to say here, I mean, I know at some point in the very near future, I'm going to be doing a, a quick Amazon search because these are, are the books that I, I think are, are beneficial for parents like us who have kids who are either in the foster system to have these books laying around, or if you have kids who are adopted through the foster system or adopted in general, to have these books around and things you can read with your kids to to normalize that because I know that I have interviewed more than one person who has told their story of having been in foster care or been adopted who felt like they were the only one, the only one in their whole entire school who knew anything about this and they tried to hide it because they were they were the one unique one. Nobody else dealt with this stuff. And uh, one particular uh, gal that we talked to she talked about a young man that she mentored who was in a school that she was working at. And when she created a support group, there was, I think it was six or eight different kids in the school at the same time who, who had um, 
all all been in the foster system and created this little support group and and these kids came together and were able to create that community and that's what we really want to do is have this community where these kids can can really identify with another human and not feel like they're the only ones who is left out in the world and and they're unique and unworthy i love that yes well thank you so much for your time today anna maria um and we'll make sure that links to the book and the website and, and the social media and all that end up in the show notes. So, um, you know, you guys can can look down on your podcast player there and, and get it there. If you go to the website at fostercarenation.com um, and, and you listen to this episode there, the show notes all be there as well. I want to make certain that, that we always let everybody know that it's there because the one big one that everybody likes to listen to, Apple Podcast, um, for some reason or other, there is something that goes on sometimes and the, the links in the show notes don't always work. So if you want to find it and you can't find it on Apple, just just go to the um, go to our website and you can find all the links in there. And and uh, one of these days I'll get around to getting a hold of some human from Amp- Apple who can fix all my problems. But until then, we're just going to work around it. Well, Anna, I, uh, I do want to just thank you one more time for having spent some time with us today and, and talking about your story, your experience with your daughter it sounds like it's something that has been very valuable to you and to your family and in the long run to her as well. Yes, I hope so. I think so. And uh, I'll keep writing. We'll be looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Anna Maria's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys so cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. I wanted to talk to you guys about a project that Amanda and I have been talking about for a while, and we'd like to start getting some steps forward. And first off, I need to talk to you guys. We're looking at creating a group where foster parents and adoptive parents can come together and talk about some of the struggles that they have and talk about some of the best practices that they found, some of the things that that they wish they'd found earlier along the journey. And we want to have a group that creates a lot of value and helps a lot of people do this job better, helps us to understand what we're doing and create these homes that these kids can thrive in instead of the homes where our marriages are stretched and difficult and we're at each other's throats because everybody's losing their mind because let's face it, this stuff is hard. So if you're a parent who is a foster parent or an adoptive parent, um, please reach out. Let me know if you'd be interested. It's jason at fostercarenation.com. Just let me know if you'd be interested in doing something like this. I want to create a group where we can do some regular Zoom meetings and we can invite some professionals in, some psychologists, some uh, therapists, that sort of thing, and maybe just see if we can't learn from one another and from the professionals how to do this in the best possible way. Again, if you're interested at all, just reach out to me, Jason at fostercarenation.com and say, I'm interested in the group. Thanks a lot.